0: You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you. Conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more.
1: For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time.
0: This is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is the Comedian's Comedian Podcast, which takes your favourite comedians and the ones you haven't become enamoured with yet, but are about to, and takes their creative process and puts it under the microscope and then tries to make them personally cry. Today we hit a stone wall on that front with the incredible Julio Torres, Probably my favourite moment of this interview is the bit where I ask him uh, if he's able to change gear in the incredibly unique style that he has, and we're going to go into it on depth. He was just one of my very favourite acts at Edinburgh last year, and I've been saving this one up for a snowy day. Uh, I ask him if he's able to change gear using his unique pace in the type of show that he's doing, which we'll go into detail. He looks me in the eye and pauses and says... No. <laughs> and it's absolutely wonderful. Um, I've got so much time for Julio. Congratulations for downloading this. If you're a British listener and haven't heard of him, he doesn't have a massive profile over here, but um, I hope he comes back here and does more work soon. He's a writer for SNL and also one of the most sort of starkly creative and just enthralling performers that I've seen in a very long time. His show last year was the first one on my lips whenever anyone asked me at the festival uh, if I'd seen anything if I could recommend anything. I couldn't wait to tell people about this joyously seemingly impossible fantastic comedian. So, without further ado, this is Julio Torres. Oh, sorry, there is a bit more ado. Isn't that the worst? That's like introducing someone at a comedy club, getting everyone clapping and then making them stop before you do it again. I'm sorry. With this tiny bit more ado, uh, I am, of course, on tour. So sorry if you were going to come to the Dublin show. I know there's lots of disappointed people there. um, I'm afraid because of the the Beast from the East, that show was cancelled. Um, I'm. we weren't even able to postpone it and, uh, and find an alternative date. So I'm really sorry if you missed out there. I hope I can get to see you and you can get to see me soon. Stay tuned in the middle bit and I will tell you about some of my forthcoming tour dates. Now, without any further ado at all, this is the absolutely enthralling Julio Torres. Let's start with your show. I saw your show it's such a great show oh thank you tell me about um is it was it created tell me about the creation of the show i don't think i've been coming to the i've been coming to the festival for over 20 years and i've never seen anyone with a video camera pointed at their hands Uh to a video screen as they discuss their favorite shapes i couldn't not go and see it so tell me about that show and how it relates to your stand-up practice sure i think that
1: um I have always been a very visual person since before I even attempted doing comedy. And I've always found uh, a lot of humor in objects. And then it, it feels like, parallel to that, I started doing stand-up, occupying sort of a different part of my brain. Um, and then I... I think mainly through, this sounds stupid, but mainly through Instagram, I started sort of experimenting and posting just objects that I think are funny and just sort of uh, riffing on them and talking about them and personifying them. And then I always thought, well, what a shame that I can't really do this via stand-up because I can't really hold a small object that is like, a centimeter long in a stand-up set and talk about it. Um, And then it just sort of occurred to me, well, what if I point a camera and I magnify these small objects that I find so stimulating and I talk about them? Um, And... Yeah, that's how that show came
0: about. And, and is that... It's, so was that show created for festivals or for this festival? No. Or how, how old is no, the show? No, that show was, was very
1: uh, cathartic in that I was suddenly excited that I could do live what I had previously only been able to do through video uh, or photographs. Okay. Um, so then I put that show together uh, very quickly... And uh, then the possibility of bringing it to Edinburgh came about. Okay. Yeah.
0: And is the, the some of the stand-up elements from the show, yes. not that you're standing up, but some of the, you know, your... Jokes. Opening, <coughs> some of the jokes, yes. yeah. Your opening yeah. line is, you know, the, uh, the Vegan Queer Collective line. Sure. That's from your pre-existing stand-up?
1: Yes, practice. yes. Yeah, it is. Uh, but I, then I found that a lot of what I do in stand-up uh, connects... Or at least my brain connects that somehow to the elements that I bring in visually. Yeah, so I almost see it like when I'm sitting doing the show, like my set list is this collection of this little menagerie, and that is sort of like the list of jokes I have to get. That are... Okay,
0: okay. So rather than a set list, you've literally got a box. I mean, you yeah, I literally
1: have a yeah a display of. Beautiful little object.
0: I think the... Like I I have now recorded something like 230 interviews and I don't know how old you are. How old are you? I'm 30. 30? Yes. You are the only person who has ever said this part of my comedy practice was inspired by Instagram. I'm like, oh, that is the... You might be my most millennial guest.
1: (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I actually find social media to be uh, very productive comedically and i th- I think that I mean a lot of uh comedians and stand ups have a, a a i think a productive relationship with twitter mainly sure um because you get to just think of a, a funny thing and release it into the world uh and so a lot of, a lot of stand ups do that because it's words uh but I found that instagram. When I Because I, I didn't have it for the longest time, because I didn't necessarily... Um, I wasn't necessarily interested in it, but then I realized, oh, I can just experiment comedically with this. And I... Yeah.
0: So what were, what were some of the first steps you took in that kind of experimentation?
1: Well, just... I think I was pleasantly surprised the first time that I noticed that people found funny what I found funny, when I would just uh, take a picture of an object that I found was preposterous and just personify it. Okay. Uh, And then I noticed, oh, I'm not uh, crazy because other people are also enjoying this, I think. A lot of the time, to be honest, though, including with this show that you saw it is actually very hard for me to tell whether people find what I'm doing funny or they find my interest in it funny.
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting observation. Okay.
1: Because I, I don't... Sometimes I wonder... Okay, so you just laughed at me commenting on the curvy angles of this vase but are you laughing because you agree with me or are you laughing because you think I'm odd? <laughs> and,
0: yeah, okay.
1: Yeah. Or, and or I think it's even... a little, or not even odd, but just like, I mean, there's something um, appealing, I think, about someone who has very particular interests. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Because I, I feel like I, I have laughed at jokes I laugh all the time at jokes about sports uh, because I understand more or less what the knowing nothing about sports. No, I understand more or less what the joke is, but I also find myself amused by the passion that the comedian is displaying
0: regarding the yes. subject. Yes.
1: Um, so maybe that's what most of the audience is. I think
0: of Daniel Tosh whenever I think of sports jokes, because he is uh-huh. someone who just like throws you in at the deep end in terms of your understanding of sport, which perhaps like yourself, mine is absolute zero. Uh-huh. So he'll do jokes about Amer- in particular, American sports. Yeah. And they're very barbed, very pointed jokes. And I find myself having to, I'm kind of, I'm picking up what he's talking about from my knowledge of comedy, not my knowledge of sport. I'm going, oh, they're laughing at that point, so that must mean there's some relationship between that thing and that thing.
1: I think that uh, people that are not from America, like you or I, um, develop that sort of, uh, I don't completely understand this, but I'm sort of doing the math in my brain to understand it. Yes. More than uh, Americans, because everything that we consume or most of the things that we consume are foreign to us. yes. So I think that, that plays into like our understanding of a Daniel Tosh joke, for sure, example. Sure, sure.
0: Because mean, we're
1: so used to when we turn on the television and we watch, or we, when we go to the movie theater and watch a movie, or when we see a comedy on TV, um, there's a huge chance that that is foreign to us in some way. Yes. Yeah.
0: Yes. I'm, I'm just thinking back to my experience of watching you and part of the delight of watching you was certainly the the alienness of sure. how you're, I mean, you, you have this, I don't know quite what the relationship is, but I know that there's uh, Space Prince Julio is yes, a kind sure. of sort yes. of either a persona of yours yes. or a sort of a shorthand for what it is yes. that you do. Um, and I was feeling like I was enjoying the alieness. Part of me was just the thrill of going. I didn't know you could do this with comedy. Yeah, I've seen so sure. much comedy. I didn't know you could do this. And part of it was I was thinking about how much my wife was going to enjoy your show. Because I thought this uh-huh. is and she did. She absolutely uh-huh. loved it. Um, but um, and yes, part of it is simply relishing the relish with which you commit to. Sure. Yeah. The excitement of the, I forget the name of the brooch, but the the bit about her people are going to ask for the world and we're going to give it oh, to Oh, yes. Them. Like yeah. that. Yeah. I mean, God, I've told so many people, that's my like, uh-huh. you've got to go see this guy. What does he do? He does this. Like, that's the bit that I use because uh-huh. it is so alien to, to
1: sure. everyone's yeah. experience I, of comedy. Uh, I mean, I, I love that you got that sense from it because um, I, I enjoy and feel comfortable in that in that role, in the quote unquote alien role, um, which I think is a, uh, a magnified, uh, just, just sort of magnifying the experience of being literally a, an alien in America. Like I just filled out a form online, a government form, just changing my address. Uh, because when you're a foreign in America, you have to inform the government that you're moving.
0: Okay.
1: And even that form, the title of it was Aliens Change of Address. <laughs> 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 and it and it just, like, I think just sort of that label always spoke to me. Yes. Um, and because I always felt a little out of place anywhere to begin with. Um, so in magnifying that, I think that's where I found... What I enjoy in, in comedy,
0: and there is something so kind of um, almost archetypal about your like your your presence on stage, your pace, the fact that you had glitter not just on your face, but like your hands were glistening. You would just occasionally see that in the light. Yes, thank you um, for noticing. Yeah, yeah, I love I it. <laughs> every
1: day when I put it on, I wonder: is this for me <laughs> or? is it noticeable from the audience?
0: What's the difference, just to, I'll come back to that first. Of all. Yeah. What's the difference between something being for you and something being for the audience? That seems like a good way to get into what you do.
1: Uh, I, I rarely think of the audience, I guess. I, um, a lot of it is starts being for me. And then the surprise and the my delight comes when I feel like people are connecting to it because we all know that if you make something generic just as a product it it i don't know there's something artificial about it whereas if you make something very personal people will will connect to it in some way
0: yes okay yeah absolutely so so you're you're glistening you're this kind of space prince character but it's not a character. It is. It has a truth, and the truth is yeah. very apparent.
1: Yes, I, yeah, I, I've been. I remember the first time someone said that they enjoyed the character I do on stage. And the first time I heard that, I think it was like an, at an open mic or something like that. And I, and I was just so puzzled by someone calling it a character. Because to me, I can't imagine uh, performing my comedy any, any other way. Like well, it's like, well, what do you mean a character? Like, I, okay.
0: It's, really, it's yeah. really interesting hearing the pace with which you speak and the rhythm with which you speak now, conversationally. And that is exactly identical to the pace that you speak with on stage like one of my questions was going to be about that that opening joke. I mean, you you spend maybe 10 seconds saying the word hello at the beginning of your show, yes. yeah. <laughs> you know, which I was immediately, ah, oh, this is great. Look at the, not even necessarily the risk. You seem impervious to risk on stage because 99% of the performers at this festival are coming on stage and going, hi, how are you doing? You know, where, where where are you from? How are we doing? Is everyone yeah. doing You know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And you seem very deliberately to say... Hello, I'm uh, Julio. You know, and again, like
1: that was, that was like something that I think a friend picked up on, and and he mentioned that he thought it was funny. So I kept doing it. But the first time I would spend too much time greeting the audience was because I thought, oh God, I'm so. Cold that I should acknowledge that I know that they're here <laughs> and that I, yeah okay, and that I just sort of respect their presence, and you know like um, oh you were,
0: you were opening without hello, this is me, you were just doing that pace and going straight into the first yes joke, oh, yeah. see uh and then and then I remember thinking, like, oh no, I should like
1: I should say hi because they're they're there, uh so I should say <laughs> hi, like um I can. It was, like, I think years ago, and I don't know if it was Jay Leno or, like, it was probably Jay Leno who I remember reading somewhere a long time ago before I started doing comedy that, like, there was a deliberate decision that Jay Leno would, at the beginning of his show, uh, come out and shake the hands of the the people in the audience that were closest to the stage just sort of establishing him as this like everyday relatable guy. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what I'm trying to do with the with the hello, hello, hello. Just uh, like I I'm warm. Yes. Hello, I am warm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> but I think there is something like that contains the seed of the whole act is needing to say hello, I am warm. <laughs> that is yes. Even, is, sure. is in itself an incredibly alien. Way to yeah, get that better sure. course. Yeah, sure, um, There is... Uh, what I found was so arresting about it was it immediately made me think of seeing you on... Say, were I to see you do a seven-minute spot on a on a bill of yeah. five other acts.
1: Yes, which um, is w- what I do most of the time.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, to to start with that, it's, it, it's captivating because you mm-hmm. say, I'm doing this all on my terms. And I'm yeah. coming... You say to the audience almost, I'm coming to you humbly and... Also, it says something incredible to status because you appear to be vulnerable, yet you're completely in control.
1: Yeah, I will say that um, this show, I mean, sometimes it goes fantastically and sometimes it doesn't. Um, And the same goes for doing a spot in a longer showcase. But even when the audience is hating it, they are still very attentive. <laughs> <laughs> so I at least know that they're disliking it, but they're making an informed decision.
0: Ah, <laughs> when it When it goes wrong, when, that, does that, do you, mm-hmm. when you feel like they're hating it, yeah. how quickly do you get that sense? Do you know straight away? A
1: second into the yeah. performance.
0: And what is yeah. it that they do or don't do that makes you go, it's not going to go? They
1: do not laugh.
0: Just straight off. They don't love that opening.
1: Yeah. They find it, um... They immediately recognize that this is not what they hoped it would be. (laughs) (laughs) They immediately see me sit on that, behind that table, greet them, and they they think, oh, no. Oh, no. This is not, uh, we're not going to be hearing about the things that we hoped that we'd be hearing, whatever those the, may the
0: be. The promotional material was not ironic. This is a man discussing his favourite shapes. That's, that, that's Yeah, it. and
1: I made it a point to... Um, because, of course, he had the fringe, there's that big culture of and, sure. and which I was surprised that most of the festival moves on the backs of these wonderful people who are, like, flyering for the shows. Uh, and... Something that I was very adamant about was, please don't tell them that this is a stand-up show. Yes. Like, please don't. Because if, if if they just say it is humorous, um, but if they come um, expecting a, a, a very, very funny stand-up set... Uh, from a guy that's coming from America who is Latino or whatever, then they, then, oh no. (laughs) Then we're in trouble.
0: And do you, when you're in trouble, Yeah. Are there, are there gears that you can shift? None. None!
1: (laughs) None. No, when there's an iceberg ahead, I navigate straight to it because there is, because I think, well, first of all, First of all, practically, logistically, I can't give them another show. No, of Because right? I can't... Uh, if I were up there doing just behind the microphone doing a stand-up hour, then I could, in my brain, maybe retool it quickly, as we all have, and just sort of trying to give them what I think they want.
0: But would you, so have, I, would you have an interest in doing that? Have you done that no, in the past?
1: No, I, I stay the course... And they, I'm gonna give them what I prepared. Okay. Yeah. Yes. I'm not. No, I don't revise anything. To and if, if within a second I know that they're not enjoying it, I have, you know, 50 minutes left. I think. Well, this is now performance art.
0: Yes. Which, and, it, to be honest, I, sorry, don't let me interrupt you.
1: Yeah, and now I, I will do it in silence and some may get something out of it and some won't.
0: Do people ever come around? Do you get a sense with an audience like they're not going to go for it and then by the end you think actually some of these people have kind of turned on? Well,
1: no. (laughs) 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 Yeah, The show, I will say that the show is so um, varied in its content Mm -hmm. that maybe uh, at some point, someone, you know, hated the little glass swan, but is for whatever reason on board on the, on the, on the sphere or whatever <laughs> that I show. Um, but, but no, rarely ever do they come around. And it's just sort of, you know, when you go to a restaurant and you order something and then the food comes. And it's not what you were picturing. It doesn't look like you were picturing and then you take a bite, and it's certainly not what you were hoping for. <laughs> and then you get a little angry, and then you take another bite, hoping that it'll change. But of course it hasn't. It, it's still the same thing. That's, I think, what audiences that don't like the show experience yes. With, yes. with it.
0: So where do you, in you as a, as a human being, uh-huh. where does the self-belief... Come from to do something so wildly different to the norm.
1: Well, first of all, I have never done something thinking this is wildly different from the norm. Okay, I don't. I wasn't like, ha! Wait till they see this. Uh, I'm going to, to
0: blow their minds.
1: To me, it was like, oh, this is this makes perfect sense because how else would I show them the little objects? <laughs> <laughs> like, like oh yeah like to me it was as insane as uh, um doing like a funny slideshow which we have come to accept as yeah. a thing that people mm-hmm. do yeah I, ne- I, I don't think I've ever done something thinking "Wow, this is so insane their minds are going to be blown sure um no, I always find like no, I. I mean, what else would I do? Yeah.
0: So you're, when you first stepped on stage, talk us, tell me about the circumstances under which you first found yourself, stepping on a comedy stage.
1: I was, a year after college, more or less, after completing college school in America. I had to sort of figure myself out pretty quickly because I when you're foreign in America and you go there to be an international student, um, the government essentially gives you a year to figure okay. a, to find a sponsor, a work sponsor, and then stay in the states. And I wasn't having a great time at that. It was a pretty difficult time. Um, because I really, really wanted to stay in the States and finding a sponsor was, as anyone who's gone through that process, was difficult. Um, But during that stage, I feel like I was molding in what I would become. And then I thought, well, I feel like I'm spending so much of my life here in New York trying to find a job and that doesn't feel like I'm not having any fun, and I don't feel like I'm being creative at all. And I, that's why I came here to begin with. And I was very adamant about the idea of becoming a television writer and a screenwriter and a theater writer. That's what I wanted to do. And I and I felt like, oh, my God, like, what if I'm not here tomorrow? You know, I, I don't have the time to... Uh, Collab, like find actors and or a, a camera or a stage,
0: and make mistakes, and make mistakes, and like and like, who yeah. is this
1: for? And um, no one, no one had any interest in working with me, really, because no one knew who I was, I hadn't done anything. So why would they? Uh, and then I sort of thought, well, what is the one thing I can do that I don't have to spend any money on because I have no money. Uh, I don't have to ask anyone's permission to do uh, that I can do immediacy is such an important part of my life I every I want everything I want it now uh, and like what can I go do to literally tonight uh, and then it just occurred to me oh what about st- stand up it's literally a microphone and the stage uh, that seems like the Quickest, most efficient way of getting out there in the world—that my my writing. Um, so I googled New York stand-up open mic, and I went to like literally you, the first one. I
0: had you been to a comedy club before? No. And did you have friends that were comics? No. So it was purely a sort of a mathematical decision. Yes. Okay.
1: Yeah yeah i um i had a i i have a friend and had had the, had this friend at that point too who very into comedy but um, it wasn 't until later that we like collaborated or anything but Okay.
0: yeah so this is Julio you can hear how much fun i 'm having what an incredible act honestly. I I know I I talk about it in this episode, but simply having a show called My Favourite Shapes and it being about his favourite shapes, which he shows you in detail and talks about, it absolutely blew my mind, completely redefined for me what was possible. And remember, I'm the sort of hoary old act who's been... I mean, this Edinburgh will be my 25th, not all as a stand-up, we know... That's not an opportunity to take a drink. But in 25 years of the Edinburgh Festival, this absolutely sticks out as one of the top five weirdest and most magical things I saw. So really, really exciting to talk to him. Thank you to Julio for coming on the show. And um, we will get back right into that in a moment. little bit of business. Thank you to those of you who've donated recently. Let's have a little shout out to everyone who has donated in the last couple of weeks. Um, Chris, Jeff, uh, John... Robert. Thank you, Robert. Uh, That's another one. Who's that? Colin. Surely some women have also donated. Uh, Leighton. Sounds like a guy. Callum. Definitely a guy. Um, David. Come on, let's have at least one female donor. There have been some. I know there have. Andrew. Sounds a bit male. Annie. Thank you, Annie. There we go. Just keen to point out that it's not uh, entirely male listenership. So thank you to everyone that has uh, that has donated in the last two or three weeks. I've got a, a huge list. I've got 47 emails. I, I wish they were all donation-based. 47 emails to get back to in my get back to this when you've got a second file. And I haven't had many seconds recently with the tour and the weather and the boy and all the rest. So, oh, little update on the the... I I will update you next week on the status of everyone's a comedian because the cat's out of the bag on that. I thought it was all hush hush and then it suddenly turned up on uh, uh, comedy.co.uk and some other blogs here and there. So um, if you are uh, excited about that, it's happening on Tuesday and I will tell you all about it and how it went in as much as I'm allowed to do so, unless it's been blabbed all over media, Um, I will tell you about that next time we speak. But that has been occupying my time, so uh, apologies for those of you who've donated and emailed me on a, a variety of sometimes helpful, sometimes obfuscatory topics. A couple of emails I just wanted to read from. Uh, This is an email from Michael. Stu, I felt compelled to get in touch with you after you uploaded your live show as a free podcast. That's the album, Compared to What?, which is still available on the feed. I removed it and then thought, no, sod it, I'll put it back on. He says, I've been following your interview series for some time now. I mean, that dignifies it (laughs) and I like it very much. Hearing your passion for the art, your ability to connect with the wide range of your peers, makes for entertaining and enlightening series of interviews. The point is, I haven't particularly hunted you out to see live. Go on, Michael. He says, I can't explain why. Well, don't then. Just not been motivated to do so. But... I listened to your hour today and was massively impressed. Shit, I sound patronising now. Please don't take it that way. Too late, mate. One of the most finely crafted hours I've heard for ages, he's throwing it back, with a huge punchline to words ratio. Now that is what... I'm sorry to keep interrupting Michael's email, but a huge punchline to words ratio. That's music to my ears, and that's exactly how you should compliment a comedian. Thank you. He said, loved it so much, I immediately booked tickets for you in Leeds in June. Fact is, I wouldn't have done that had you not uploaded that hour for free. So thank you. I'm now a firmer fan than I an even firmer fan than I was before. Thank you Michael, very much appreciated. Along the same lines, this is lovely. and um, this is from Barry, just wanted to say I've listened to your stand up giveaway. It was brilliant, very funny, much funnier than I expected. I'd take more umbrage at that if you hadn't accidentally written than I expected. I've been listening to your Com Pod for about 3 or 4 years and always thought you seemed like a nice chap, but something made me think you wouldn't be my sort of stand up. I was wrong. He goes on, you've given me so much free stuff, I feel obliged to buy tickets for a live show now. Anyway, thanks from a new fan who's been listening to you for a long time. Thank you, Barry. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, everyone who has uh, who has done the same thing. Thanks to everyone who has followed the flowchart in that same way. Listen, if this were a comedy podcast, it would be useful for building a comedy audience, a touring audience in a particular way. Although it's a comedy podcast, we all know that it is about inquiry and that doesn't necessarily suggest my ability to inquire and be curious and things like that doesn't necessarily suggest that i am funny as i have said in the past i have made i've been made aware of a tendency to downplay my ability because i am i, I just feel i've earned the right to go oh what do you do stew ah same old shit i've earned that right by being good enough to kick that thing now look i have um i have played it down in the past and God, I'm so English. I'm about to apologise now for having not... (laughs) I'm about to apologise for having been too humble. I'm the worst. Um, But, listen, come and see me live. (laughs) I'm really good. Barry thinks so. Michael thinks so. Check out Compared to What online. And uh, that's on the podcast feed. Give that a listen. And if you enjoy it, come and see the new tour. It's called Like I Mean It and is going to play shortly. In uh, Nottingham, Reading, Corsham, McHancliffe, Bristol, Bath, Norwich, Northampton, Warwick, Shrewsbury, Swindon, Farnham, Aldershot, Sheffield, York, Newcastle, Leeds, Southampton, Cambridge, Edinburgh, Glasgow, Birmingham, Brighton, London, Tring and Cardiff. Um, So it is there's plenty of opportunities to check it out for yourself. So go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. If you have enjoyed my free stuff, and would like to see me live. I hope you will do that. And, of course, you can go to comedianscomedian.com forward slash donate if you would like to support the show instead of, or as well as coming to see me live on tour. So, uh, from one nice chap to the Space Prince himself, let's get back to this fascinating conversation with Julio Torres.
1: One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight.
0: Just tell us briefly about your background. You're from El Salvador.
1: Yes, I, I am from El Salvador, and I moved to America in 2009. Uh, and I always wanted to be in New York City. That's what I, growing up, and especially as a teenager, that's all I wanted to do. And, I, and the path to, the, the only path that made sense, of course, was going to school. Um, because, of course, I couldn't get a job because I had no education. Um, so, I again, I literally googled New York, uh, New York Liberal Arts College scholarship international student. Okay. And I found the new school that way.
0: Okay. Yeah. And what was your, what, what was it like growing up in El Salvador? I've n- I, have n- I don't even have a stereotype of what El Salvador is like in my head.
1: Well, I guess if you have a stereotype of what growing up in mexico city is then then it's it, i would equate it to that um it's a i grew up in San salvador, which is um a very densely populated very urban very chaotic very dangerous um city uh and i I always feel like my experience growing up there was, is radically different than most people's experience growing up there because I, ever since I was a kid, I thought this is not where I should be. I don't like it here. So I'm just going to go ahead and wait for it to be over. So then I would really just go to school and then come back home and just wait for the next day. And I had, like, I think I made my first friend when I was, like, 18 or 19, maybe. Because I thought, well, I don't want to waste my time here. Because it's not not where I want to be. Okay. Yeah.
0: That's i uh, I've never heard anyone describe their school life in that way before. Did you have a sense that that was unusual?
1: Uh... A little bit. I think that I, there was always, always, and I dreaded this, at the beginning of every school year, a meeting in which the teacher called my parents to tell them that I wasn't talking to the other children, uh, that I wasn't socializing, and asking if everything was okay at home. And everything was okay at home, I just was uh, not into it. And looking back, it might have been a bit of also of a defense mechanism—a feeling like, "Oh, I'm different, so they're not going to like me anyway. So why bother? Because I don't like them. So why don't we just respectfully stay out of each other's (laughs) way?"
0: (laughs) And do you do you feel now that you missed out on any positive elements that you might have? No. (laughs) (laughs) This you are one of the most composed. People, I, I think I've ever spoken to.
1: Yeah, I. You know, when I when I moved to the states, a lot of people, family members, or maybe I, they were like, you know, you're gonna move and you're gonna miss it, and you're gonna you're gonna find yourself being like, oh, like I wish I could like have this meal or this other thing, and I, I. Mm-mm nope, I again I say the course <laughs> I like no I made the right decision
0: and was there were there any kind of when you were at school were there any kind of cultural influences in your life from which you were learning this kind of composure and the sort of the confidence in your decision being the right one no. was it like was there a particular movie or a oh I see um I
1: I would I would devour anything that was said in New York City. I definitely glamorized that. And of course, when I moved, I found out that my experience there was going to be radically different than what I saw in TV and movies. But I anything said in New York, I was obsessed with. Um, I would watch a lot of American television. Um, yeah, I feel like I would consume a lot of media as a kid. Uh, like Ally McBeal was one of my favorite shows. Okay. Um, I loved. Um, what
0: did you What did you love about Allie McBeal? What was it specifically that I loved?
1: Uh, I distinctly remember thinking that Lucy Lou and Allie McBeal was just the coolest thing I've ever seen in the world, uh, okay. and I still believe that. Yeah. But um, I don't know. I guess just the idea of a, a neurotic urbanite. I really love that. Um, I would also watch uh, I Dream of Genie. I remember loving it a lot. Uh, And I never really connected to it because I didn't want to, you know, live a suburban American life. But I don't know. There was something about just the magic of it that I really liked. Okay. Yeah.
0: So let's talk about cool. Because you talked about Lucy Lou and Animal Bill being cool. Yeah. And you are, I mean, you, rarely in my life do I say this to people. You are <laughs> cool as fuck.
1: Oh, well, <laughs> thank you.
0: What does um, that mean? Like, what, why do you think I'm saying that? What is it about you that, that, I that think, gets that I think that you? I
1: register in the human brain as cool because they're uh, uh, because not used to because I'm a little different, I think, Um, and because I am unwavering in my, in how, in in the choices that I make. Um, Yeah, I don't know. I I mean, this is such a cliche, but, like, of course I didn't feel cool growing up, and I certainly didn't feel cool in college where I was very studious and my only mission was to get perfect grades because in my head and boy was I wrong that if I got perfect grades then that's how I was going to stay in America. Yeah, <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> it was, oh.
1: I was dead wrong that has yeah. absolutely nothing to do with anything. Um, yeah I don't yeah I don't because of course I, I'm like sometimes I feel like oh I'm not I'm boring. But
0: when did you first feel cool? And I know that's like that's a poison chalice of a question because it, as, soon as, right, admit, yeah. as soon as you admit as soon as you admit that you're cool, you're not cool anymore. But uh it's I, in the spheres in which we're talking. In America,
1: in college, yeah. I think that just coming from Literally saying, like people someone asking, where are you from? And saying El Salvador, I would get, oh cool. Uh and I thought, well, no, not really, which is why I left. Um, then and then I remember my my roommate being like so excited that I was doing comedy and thinking that was really cool. And then when I was doing comedy, uh people thinking, oh, this is this guy's different than the people who try to do comedy and that is cool, and um, and then with the magnifying of the or exaggerating of the uh, feeling alien and going platinum blonde, which in my brain is directly connected to that, um, people thought that was fun. <laughs> Where is uh, always every every decision I make is just very honest and very earnest.
0: Let's talk about the space prince. Sure. What does that mean to you? Is that, is that a persona? Is it a, is it a kind of a north star that you kind of... It's like uh, a, it's a direction rather than a person? What is it?
1: I think that it, it was... Well, first of all, literally, I had to like come up with an Instagram handle, right? Um, but also, I thought like, oh, yeah, that's what I... That's sort of the thesis statement that I am one, not from here, but two, very in command of that. So I'm not from where you are and coming from a different place, but that doesn't make me less. It makes me sort of powerful and in control of that.
0: And it's also, you're not from where I am, but you're also not from where anyone else is,
1: which is how I've always felt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah.
0: So, like,
1: I there, feel there are, I there strongly. Of
0: space princes out there, you're the space prince, <laughs> right?
1: I strongly feel that to my peers in El Salvador, I am just as, if not more, foreign than than my peers in in America.
0: are you happy being unique or are there... Do you think, oh, it'd be great to find another space prince? <laughs> um, no, I think I'm pretty...
1: Uh, I'm pretty happy being unique. And I... Um, but I don't know. Again, like, I, I don't feel like I'm outlandish or... Because, um, again, it's all very... Earnest. I don't um I don't know if I'm unique as much as I'm honest.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh and I I'm attracted to people who are very honest with themselves as well. To people who understand themselves very well and know how to make something very productive out of that. I feel like all my friends who are performers or writers in, in New York. We're all very different, but what we have in common is we're very comfortable with the very specific thing that we bring to the conversation. And we we relish in that. Because like, like you interviewing me right now and finding that I'm uh, very different and all of these things, um, I have so many friends that I think are so special and odd and cool and unique. And I don't necessarily connect to their experience at all. But um, but because they're so into what they're doing, I, I, can, I can connect to it.
0: So how long have you been doing stand-up?
1: Since 2013.
0: And within that time, what are some of the lessons that you have learned? I'm half expecting you to go, I didn't learn anything. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, Nothing. I knew what I, I wanted, and now I'm doing it. <laughs> um, well,
1: what are the lessons that I've learned? I think like, I, I mean,
0: creatively, as opposed to how yeah,
1: I get into it. Um, just, I mean, what I always suspected, which was if it's funny to me, then that. That's a good sign. (laughs) Um, And just... Again, honesty and... um, Sounds like such a stupid cliche, but like staying true to what you believe is funny or not funny. Because I remember the first time I tried doing stand-up. The very first time. And I found myself trying to mimic the body language of what I thought a stand-up should be. So the very first time I did stand-up, I took the microphone out of the stand and I sort of leaned onto the stand, literally going one, two, three, four, five, and this is how a stand-up man performs, and then I do this, and then I, like, talk about where I'm from, and just in... In, in a cadence that was very rehearsed. Uh, and then I thought, oh, even if people found that funny, I, I don't. So, yeah.
0: And has that, has, have you ever spotted that feeling again? Do you ever spot yourself falling into an appraisal of what your stand-up is, of, of what stand-up is, rather than, rather than what you now do? Like, do you ever, like, no. I suppose... I, or, I think some, sometimes
1: I, um, I, and again, this very, like, comedian thing where, like, something happens in the news and then uh, everyone, everyone in the comedy world is commenting on it and has their, like, joke or take on it. And then I'm sort of, like, my gears are turning and, like, what can I say about... And then I, and then I stop and go, like, Nothing. I do not have a comedic take on that. So, nope.
0: Yes. Yeah, because it's like I don't have
1: to, like... It is not my homework or my duty to react to everything that Donald Trump says.
0: That is a really interesting... That is a really interesting framing of of pretty much the same idea of, like, oh, we all take the mic out of the stand. Yeah. No, there is no we. There is no all. Right, I do what I do. It's fairly easy to learn that lesson. But that's really interesting, I think, that, that it is exactly the same lesson to learn that when everyone scrambles to make a joke on Twitter, yeah. you don't have to do that because that's what we all do like and a, there is no we friend, all.
1: Like a, some friends and I were laughing at... Um, remember when Jared, the subway guy from the subway restaurants, yes. got uh, arrested...
0: I know about that. I don't know if that's a well-known thing in the UK. but Oh, I, okay. I, I, uh,
1: so uh, Subway, the sandwich chain, which you do have here, right? We do have here, yeah. yeah.
0: yeah. But we uh, never had Jared. He was like their poster. Oh, I firm. see. Yeah,
1: the spokesman for it was this man, Jared, who... Uh, the claim was that he lost a lot of weight because he stopped eating hamburgers and he started eating Subway sandwiches instead. Uh, And he was this sort of like everyday guy, just this like very plain looking man. Um, And he was sort of the face of Subway Sandwiches. Uh, And then he was caught, I believe, with child pornography... Right? Is that I, right? I
0: also believe so. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, something like that. I don't want like, it to. It <laughs> That's was a terrible thing to accuse someone of. Yeah, if this, you're not fully I, over the, across it, the it, I mean, it was something uh, bad. It, it was something. It, happened, it was
1: something yeah. really bad happened that he was guilty of, uh, and when the news broke, it was like so. comedic... Many people found it so comedically fertile because all the ingredients were there. It was a silly sa- sandwich <laughs> shop. Uh, a, like, Unlikely silly-looking hero. guy yeah, yeah. Uh, and, like, a really disgusting thing. Mm-hmm. And my friends and I were laughing at, like, s- how some of the jokes that were posted on, like, Twitter and Facebook were, like, so hastily written because it was almost like, I've got to get this joke out now because the people need to hear what my... yes. What my joke on the Jared Subway guy is gonna be, and it's like, well, maybe it's not funny. <laughs> Have you considered that maybe, like, we're not dying for your?
0: <laughs> Have you? That's interesting. If do do you come up against the need to write to order, like to as opposed to like your stand-up practice where you yeah. go, this is everything that I'm, you know, I'm. Purely driven by what I'm interested in.
1: Yeah, In yeah.
0: in in your comedy life, mm-hmm. is there ever the requirement to write stuff about a subject you don't necessarily find funny? And how do you cope with that? No challenge. No. No. You just get. You have created. Yeah. The freedom.
1: Yeah, I don't. Um,
0: God, that sounds idyllic. Or maybe yeah, that's, I mean, do, you, there do for you? everyone? Do you find no, that? No, do you know what? No, I don't. But I always feel bad about that. I feel like oh, if someone needed me to write specifically about this, then I would I'd be a failure because I wouldn't be able but to. But who needs you to write that? Well, I don't know, like a TV show or a topical radio show. Or oh, something you're that saying don't, oh, don't you're saying if hypothetically,
1: if yeah. hypothetically, yeah, 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 yeah. I worked for a late night show, exactly, and I was a a jug writer, then what would my take on that be? Yes, right,
0: but not you know I mean, sure. or a radio show, or anything.
1: Yeah. Uh, no, luckily I. I have been lucky that I've never had the... No one's ever pointed a finger and be like, quick. Come uh, up with a take on Jared. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, that is many people's job, and it's their job because they're good at it. Um. Yeah. I have been lucky that I have... And this is a very privileged, I think, position where I feel like... If I'm not interested in it, then I just don't do it.
0: It's interesting you use the word lucky, because you don't strike me as someone who would attribute much to luck. You seem like a phenomenally determined, willful, hard-working, confident person. Sure, but I... was there room for luck in that kind of you? you, I feel like you kind of bend the world to your will. Is that that (laughs) Um, what the space prince does? Using some crystal?
1: Yeah, no, I don't. I don't know. Of course, I don't believe in luck, and I don't believe in uh, that anyone was meant to be anything. But that said, I do acknowledge that you know, I came to America via scholarship. And I was very fortunate that that was there for me. Sure. Uh, and I, um, I started doing comedy uh, while I was struggling. But I was very fortunate that I wasn't struggling so much that I couldn't spare an hour a day to go do it. Um, yeah, that I've always had, had some sort of flexibility in my
0: life. With someone with as strong, as clear of a comic voice as yours, I wonder, and maybe it's too early in your career for this to be the case, but I, I would imagine, if not now, then before too long, some newer comics will start to be influenced by you. Uh-huh. Have you seen that happen anyway? Um, not, I think,
1: in a, in a good way, I think i think uh that what me and my peers do in our like uniqueness uh and specificity has allowed for the ch- it it just sort of says oh you can also just do the thing that you thought no one was going to like <laughs> yeah yes are they specifically mimicking literally what I do? I don't think so. I think that um, it's not a very appealing thing
0: to <laughs> mimic. Yeah, I mean. mimic.
1: It, it would feel like such a horrible prison if if this was what... What you decided to and also not not necessarily a commercial hit. So like why would you why would you bother doing that?
0: But that but that is a lovely way to contribute if what you're effectively saying. Yeah, if I your influence so. is, hey, you can you can just do what you love. Just, just pick a yeah. thing that
1: you love and do it incredibly Right. Or it's not even pick a thing that you like. Yeah, of yeah. course.
0: So what what will what happens next in terms of your stand up practice like is is it about do you have um do you have ambitions or a a plan towards getting a netflix special of the shapes show or you know what's your yeah. are you a five year 10 year plan person
1: oh god 10 year to me feels like you might as well have said 100 years that like again i want I want things yesterday. Yeah, uh, but so
0: what? So what do you want yesterday? What's the what's well? The
1: current? I I am there's a there, I have a, a Comedy Central half hour coming out in October, which is very exciting. Um, but now that I'm doing this shape show, I'm just sort of thinking, well, what would my hour? look like and I keep thinking and I and I and I'm sort of answering that question slowly I'm thinking like oh well what if what about like hypothetically a a stand-up hour where we all of a sudden pan away from me and we start zooming in very closely into a little object somewhere else and then we sort of go into the thoughts of that object and then we see go into like the world of that and then we suddenly like zoom out and I'm still doing a stand up set or something like that. Yes, okay. Um, so I'm still figuring out what the sort of what my version of that would look like.
0: And do you have do you have other kind of um, does the space prints have other interests than shapes and objects? Are there similarly are there things similar in tone that are fertile for further hours?
1: Um, Would it be great if I said no?
0: (laughs) No. It's so great. (laughs) No. Um,
1: No, I think that I'm a very visual person, so uh, it being visually right and specific will always um, carry that. But no, I'm interested in exploring uh, points of views that I think haven't been sufficiently explored. Um, And when I say that, I also include, like, objects. um, But also just, I feel like we haven't sufficiently seen uh, an immigrant perspective in a way that is we haven't seen enough of that, so I think that I, I'm very interested in exploring that. And I feel like uh, still a very specific kind of voice dominates the, the conversation. And I feel like you tune into shows night after night, and there are all these wonderful shows, but it's always like... Uh, a, the same type of person getting laughs on behalf of people who don't get to be on TV? Yes. Like, we all cheer that, like, yeah, like, oh, yes, he's, like, s- standing up for them. Well, what if they stood up for themselves? Yes. <laughs> and they were on TV, you know? So I'm, I'm interested in that.
0: And is there in your future, I mean, do you direct do you do cinematography as well as write? Because you, um, it seems to me that like sure. a writer with a visual fixation is sort of...
1: I, that is certainly a, an ambition that I hope to conquer soon, which is directing, yeah. Because I've been lucky that I... Again, lucky. I've been put in positions where I'm so happy that I have worked with really great people that are, like, visually very connected to what I do and very wonderful uh, directors so far, but I, I, that's, like, a skill that I want to attain myself.
0: And is there, I mean, you seem very well built for being a director, a kind of auteur figure. You know what you want.
1: Thank you. Yeah. yeah that's, <laughs> I mean, I, that's where I hope this goes
0: to. So just I'm trying to preemptively ask questions that I would ask you in 5 or 10 years when you when you've directed something what sort of things i mean <laughs> within the within the scope of comedy Ooh. or do does your directorial ambition see beyond comedy is it is it about finding what's funny in the visual or is it about finding what's surprising in the visual or what's what's previously unfound
1: i think what's what's surprising in the in the visual, and I think that um, sometimes I do wonder, like, am I a comedian? Cause do it, or or am I just <laughs> earnestly doing work that people just happen to find funny? <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: Um, that's the first note of doubt. we're on fifty six minutes. <laughs> oh, <right. laughs> that's the first question mark <laughs> uh, yeah i um, yeah that's a, that's fascinating.
1: But no, the answer is I am a comedian because I do write jokes of course um, but sometimes I feel like uh, because I find beauty to be so stimulating and uh, just gorgeous shots and just beautiful gowns and just beautiful objects. I, I, find, I find myself very connected and drawn to beauty, so I think that is, to me, just as important as it being funny.
0: And are there, are there moments of doubt? Do you have the same artistic doubts that other artists would suffer from? Do you think, is this funny? Is this working? Is this for me?
1: This being my pursuit of uh, um, this career, or
0: yes, yeah, your pursuit of the career or the material. Like, if you have a tough show, is there if you have a if, uh, a bad show, if an audience doesn't get it, uh-huh. do you does that roll off you like Teflon? Like, no, they didn't go for it, or or do you ever doubt that maybe, or do you have any doubts?
1: No, I never doubt that I'm doing what I should be doing. Um, That I don't doubt. Um, And when something goes wrong, I have objective evidence that proves that that show went wrong, but the material isn't bad because previous audiences have found it funny.
0: Well i I'm, I'm trying to relate this to my own life and hope that I can learn something like if, you, really. if you
1: if you if you bomb with material that has previously done well, well then you know that something happened that doesn't mean that your material is bad
0: yes that's true, although I suppose my initial reaction would be as the as the kind of bag of nerves that I am I would go on stage if I was bombing, I suppose I would Tend historically to think, um, oh, I I'm, I am terrible at this. I've been found out. Oh, those other times they were lucky. Do you know what I mean? In the face of like, sure. in, a no- yeah. in an illogical, no, I, in emotive um, way.
1: No, I. Well, first of all, I never I never resent the audience for not liking what I do. Sure. <clears throat> um, but I do think, oh, they are just I'm just not what they like. And I know that I'm not for everyone. So,
0: yeah. So what does that mean to the editing of the material, say, when you're working on a joke Mm -hmm. and it doesn't go down? Yeah. And you think that joke needs to be improved. I need to tweak the joke. I need to rewrite the joke. Early in the life of the joke.
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, yes. I I mean, very productive moments have come from something not going right, and then me moving it around and um, either getting rid of it or, or so is there, it. So
0: do you suffer from, not, not suffer, do you experience the same, like, I'm trying a new joke, I hope this works. If it doesn't work, what does that mean if a new joke doesn't work? Does that mean that they're wrong or does that mean that you're wrong or that the joke isn't ready yet?
1: It meant that the way I presented this idea was not the right one.
0: Because you have absolute confidence that the belief itself is funny. That's the bit I'm getting at. Because even before anyone's laughed at it.
1: The vessel I presented this idea in is not the right one yet.
0: And then it goes
1: back. Sorry. and And then this idea goes back to the cloud. And then I will find a different vessel to present this thesis in.
0: So do you ever have it, a bad idea? Or is every idea you have, by virtue of its existence, it is communicable somehow?
1: Um Yeah, I think it is. I think oh, that, I so I I think it's <laughs> um Yeah, I think that I when I come to the audience with an idea, it may be rough and it may be... Uh, and the joke may be all wrong and um, it may be sloppy or whatever, but I think that the thesis statement, by that time I have questioned it enough that there is something there.
0: So before that point, before it comes to the audience, when, it's in, when it pops into your head as an idea and mm-hmm. you make a note of it... hmm and then you review your notes. Some of them, are you thinking, that one is not an idea? Like, if, like, is every idea that pops into your head that is recorded, you go, that will work, that will work in some form, that will work in some form. Or is there any kind of thing where you go, that is, I made a mistake when I thought of that because that is not funny. I think
1: that is not funny as a sentence. Let's try it as something else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think like, oh, that is, like, sometimes I'll have an idea and think like, oh, this is not a bad idea, it's just not a joke, let's save it for when I, like, literally design a garment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's an incredible way to think of it, yes, yes, okay. This, yeah, because there isn't a bad idea. There's just an idea that isn't actually a joke. Yeah. That's, that's an incredible way to uh, never feel negative about your output. Maybe like, you know, maybe there's a bad Ish. comic out there now, and really, he's, he's not a bad comic. It's mm-hmm. just he's a great dress designer. He's a great garment sure. designer who doesn't know it. Yeah. And as a result, he's taking these things on stage every night, which will only ever be good garments. Yes, I. I what a wonderful way to see creativity
1: and just a very like a very like mundane everyday example of that is, I think, uh, comedians who on stage perform tweets that were that did very well on the internet uh, and the audience doesn't react to them and it's like, well, why is it bad that it was a really funny tweet? Like why does it have to be a joke that you say on stage? Yes, why can't you just relish on that you wrote something funny? Why is this a failure? It is isn't. You just like try to do something with it that it wasn 't meant to be
0: i'm trying to i'm trying to find holes in this logic because if if this thesis is correct this is the, this is the
1: i remember when i I took a aptitude test uh, in Like my senior year of high school, uh, because I was—I thought it would be productive, and I think it was. Do do you know what that is? When when you take a test and they tell you what career you're suited for? Yes, yeah, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, And my my mother's an architect, and my father's a civil engineer, and they were both very keen on the idea of me also being an architect because I was always very visual. Uh, and I had gotten to my head by that point already that no, that I wanted to be a writer. And I took an aptitude test, and the test determined that, I, that my abilities were suited to be an architect. Uh, and I said, well, how about writing? What did the test say about that? Uh, and it said that it, it seemed okay, but that I would never be as good as a writer, as I would be as good as an architect or anything that had visual intelligence to it. So now I'm sort of, but I didn't want to do that. So now I'm borrowing from that part of my brain to do what I do want to do.
0: Yeah. That is, uh, I mean, we talked about garments, but maybe also there's something about writing jokes and going, that's not a joke. That's a building. That's a building. That's a floor plan. That's, that's a, a floor written, plan. Oh God, yeah. all of these are windows. Yeah. Here am I standing yes. in a comedy club trying to tell windows. Right. <laughs> that's, that is an absolutely fascinating way to look at it. Thank you. Because I
1: think my whole thing, my, my what drives me, what I love doing is creating. So they don't have to be jokes all the time.
0: And that's, that's okay. And do you feel that you, you must... Do you feel that you have been born at exactly the right time, given how much internet there is, given how much Instagram and video and ability there is to create, to create visually, to have your jokes and your windows seen for free maybe, by yeah. millions of people.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I think so. I think that, or I don't know, maybe like I would you found, have found like
0: been as an 80s comedian, <laughs> would what would that
1: have looked like? <laughs> uh I don't know. I mean, I definitely, there are, like, realms that I don't experiment in because my brain just doesn't work that way. I'm not a very musical person at all, and I, I'm very deficient when it comes to that. And so I don't even try it. But I think I sort of equate what I do to people being productive and funny with music.
0: Do you have in the way in the same way that I'm, I might have a favorite joke or you might have a favorite joke do you have a favorite image Do you have certain images that that you would enjoy yeah, I
1: I think that to me one of the uh one of the funniest jokes are Fabergé eggs and I will never cease to find them so deeply funny
0: Because, talk me through
1: it as if it were as if in
0: in the way that you would because they're these very expensive
1: things that uh, that you can have multiple of, and they're so preposterous in how they look, and it's just they're so ridiculous, and the fact that people like collect these very expensive things in a way that is so deeply serious. It's so funny to me because it's, it's essentially an egg in a dress.
0: <laughs> it's, a,
1: it's just this egg, which is inherently such a funny shape, um, with like bows and diamonds encrusted. It's just so funny to me.
0: So, is there is there anything in your show? Is there anything no longer in your show? Is that have you have you yes. cut anything in the making yes. of this show? A lot, of, a lot. What sorts of things have you cut, and what were the decisions? Uh,
1: longer uh, pieces that took too long. Uh, pieces that um, structurally did the same as uh, parts of it that I think are better that are currently on the show, mm-hmm. like. There are several moments in the show where I have a conversa- a very dry conversation between two people. Mm-hmm. Um, I was drowning in those at the beginning.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah. So I pick and chose. And also just very like logistical, sensible decisions like, oh, I'm touching on Melania Trump. Do I also need to touch on Ivanka Trump? And to a foreign audience when I go back and forth from a Melania bit to an Ivanka thing, are they going to picture the same woman? Because phonetically their names are so close and mm-hmm. we know that they're close to the precedent. Like, are they going to picture Melania when I'm talking about Ivanka or vice versa?
0: I'm, I was struck in particular by the, uh, the swans yeah. and the relationship between the swans. Yes. and the intrusion upon that relationship of the third swan. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I don't know how many people will get to see the show who've seen this or will be able to see it if it's released. Yeah. Or if, you know, I, I hope people can see it somewhere. Um, but it struck me that, that it is a, what you're doing is sort of social satire, almost, you sure? through the medium of glass swans. So yes. you're talking about this relationship, the intrusion upon the relationship, and how we would all react at the, at the oncoming wedding of these two original swans. Yeah. And I don't even know really what the question is other than how much I love that bit. When it seemed to me to typify what you do, which is to show an apparent thing. Yeah. And then the actually the comedy isn't the thing itself. The comedy is how you bring yourself to the thing and how we bring ourselves to the thing and how the thing is almost a—it's uh, a—it's a, 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 not a skeleton or like some kind of a lattice. It's like there we go. This is the object is simply the thing that holds all of the, the it's opinions. The, and yeah, it's, it's it. the
1: vessel. It's the, the vessel, of course. The, vessel. the 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 glass wands are actors. Uh, in this little play that people can connect to. I think that's how I see it. And I just made, like, right casting choices. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's bring it back to your persona. Um, the, um, the material that you have about someone shouting birthday girl on the street. Yes. And the punchline, to butcher the punchline with apologies, is that on hearing someone shout birthday girl in the street, you say, for a second, the world was mine yes and that is it's so it's such a like it's it it would i tell you what one of the things i love about what you do is that it would be completely impossible for anyone to steal it you know because it doesn't even work necessarily written down it's so you're so infused with you you're the you're the vessel
1: um so what is the question
0: I don't know what the question is I was sort of when you said um I was like brilliant I didn't have a question he's running with it
1: somehow (laughs) um yeah I and sometimes I do wonder if that helps or hurts that oh this is so uniquely me that no one else could do it or say it um Sometimes I then I challenge the relatability of the of the joke, and think, and then we go back to the whole question of: yes. Do is this a funny joke, or <laughs> is this funny because they're like, what is this person? Yes, but I do think that that I do really firmly believe that that joke in particular is relatable. Uh,
0: yes. Yes. Yeah. But I, I also think that, um, to come back to that, that issue, if you're, if you're then directing and obviously you write mm-hmm. for, for certain things that you don't perform and you, uh, you are not present in those, but you are present through your writing, mm-hmm. I wonder what the next development of that is in terms of directing, given that you, the, sort of the, the, that particular vessel is not there on stage to relate to but you still, in your, in your non-stand-up writing, mm-hmm. it's still incredibly of you. And I wonder what the next stage is in terms of your direction, how you, find, how, how you find a way to infuse the work that you direct.
1: Sure. Well, I think that, like, you know, you think of any, any director with a very specific voice, you don't see them, but when you see their film, you're walking into their brain... And you and the the rules of that universe are so specific to that film that you don't you, you don't you don't question it like i just I just went to see the uh the most recent Sofia Coppola movie and I love sofia Coppola and some by the way, I feel like I feel like the Sofia Coppola of the fringe because it's so i'm so slow and patient and visually driven, and a lot of audiences are very frustrated by that. (laughs) Um, But I feel her, and I feel her point of view, and I feel her perspective, and I feel that she is there, even though I don't know that I can even tell what her voice sounds like.
0: Yes. So, to wrap up, what what sorts of what kind of um, motifs do you imagine the Julio, the director, uh, what sorts of things would would you have a sense that we would see
1: a sense of alienness, um, beauty, <laughs> uh, the sense of. Uh, not belonging and thriving in that, Um, making the most out of what you have.
0: Are those things which are more well-worn as directorial tropes than they are as stand-up comedy tropes? Sure, maybe. Perhaps it would be harder to be noticed in the visual world, whereas at the moment you're you're bringing visual stuff to a non-traditionally visual art form. Sure. That maybe. sounds like that could really be more challenging to stand out than it is in this form. It's like it's almost like sometimes what really goes off in comedy is when people sidestep from an existing genre into mm-hmm. comedy
1: mm-hmm.
0: and stepping out of it. You'd be doing, you know, maybe. A...
1: Oh, you, I always see what you're saying. That because because that visual is in, that 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 medium is inherently visual. Yeah. Then it's like. Well, yeah, that's a gorgeous shot. Another guy. (laughs) Well, yeah, that's a gorgeous shot. That's what you're (laughs) meant to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm pretty confident that... uh, No, I'm not scared of that. I don't think that... um, No, I, I think that I'll find something specific and different in that realm... Yeah. No, I'm not. I'm not worried about that. Are you happy? Yes. Yeah. I'm very happy. I. Uh, I think that I day by day become a happier person. I was a very unhappy child, and then I was a little bit better as a teenager, and then I. I every decision that I make has made me happier. Yeah. I mean, my life isn't perfect, obviously, but I I become easily frustrated. I will say that, and I'll go into days where all I did was be really angry about that one problem. But overall, I'm a pretty happy person. I don't believe in the this whole thing of comedians have to be unhappy to uh, be funny when my whole show is, let me show you the things that really make me happy so that you can also be happy.
0: Thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you for having me
0: thank you, Julio, for coming on the show. What an experience. I am I really recommend you get yourself online and search for Wells for Boys, which is a, a sketch that Julio wrote, and it gives you a real set. From there, just dive into an absolute rabbit hole of his really fascinating live work online and his online presence and all the interesting things he gets up to. Really, really fun. Julio Torres, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, to Nathan, for listening to, listening to, I meant editing, but he does have to listen to the fucking thing. Thanks to Nathan Wood for producing this show. And, um, thanks to you for listening to it, for leaving positive reviews on iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts, particularly if you're on Android and you have one or several of the increasingly obscure podcast apps, then, uh, comments and reviews on there on however you might put them. They're really helpful, uh, provided they're positive, uh, or, Nope, just positive. That's the only <laughs> that's the only helpful one. If you didn't enjoy it, you almost certainly won't be listening this far. And of course, if you are interested in following more or finding out more or joining the uh, the kindred spirits of the Comcom Pod community, then search for the Comedians Comedian Podcast Facebook group. And um, you have to answer a question in order to join, which is just to tell me whereabouts. You heard of the show? You can use that as an opportunity to have a little bit of correspondence with you, if you like. People have been doing that, and um, that's been a lot of fun. The very high level of um, inquiry and uh, invigorating conversation about lots of different elements of the podcast and the wider stand-up and creative world. On there, now no postamble this week. The postamble is going to be uh, dedicated to the memory of Barry Crimmins, who was uh, a guest on this show uh, last year. And uh, someone who I, I had a lot of respect for. Um, and I'm really so sorry to hear about his loss. I, I, I think when, when people who are important in the comedy firmament pass away... It's sort of important to honour them honestly. I would love to be able to say I knew Barry better than I did. I only met him three times, uh, uh, twice at the Montreal Festival. We shared uh, a really bad breakfast together, (laughs) myself and and Barry and Tiffany. And then I saw him again briefly in Montreal. And then when I saw him in London for that episode of the podcast, he had clearly uh, forgotten that we were going to meet and did it anyway, which speaks volumes to me about how respectful he was and how much integrity he had. I met him in a a hotel foyer. He was having a chat with a friend and was surprised to see me and had forgotten that we were going to record the episode. And even though he was exhausted, and you can hear how shattered he is really from from that episode, of which I remain extremely proud, um, he came along and gave us all an hour of his time he was a remarkable man. I, I cannot recommend enough that you watch uh, his output, the documentary Call Me Lucky. Um, he also has a stand-up special on Netflix. Um, and uh, and I think you'll enjoy that episode as well. He redefined comedy in Boston and was an incredible leading light of the... Um, I don't know, I call it agitprop on Facebook, which is the wrong word. But as a political agitator and comic and free thinker, uh, he was... He was a really remarkable man and in the short amount of meetings that I had with him I found him incredibly warm. He looked like such a gruff cantankerous bastard and I found him to be amazingly passionate, articulate, friendly and I was very deeply saddened to hear about his loss. So rest in peace Barry Crimmins and thank you. That's all for today. Uh, I will speak to you next week. Thanks for listening and uh do download that episode with Barry if you get the chance it's uh, it's it's really very special